Window World is proud to present Kevin Keatsman Has Issues. Simply the best for less at windowskansascity.com. It's supposed to be a pretty good day in the NFL when you are a 15.5-point favorite and you cover the spread. Your quarterback throws for 320 yards and you improve to 9-2 and two on the season. But expectations for the Kansas City Chiefs are so outrageously high amongst most Chiefs fans, Sunday's win over the Rams 26-10 to 10 left a little to be desired. There was some sloppy play. Patrick Mahomes with an ugly interception in the end zone and another muffed punt. Chiefs have got to shore that up, no question about it. But as I mentioned, there was plenty of good on this day. Travis Kelsey got his 12th touchdown of the season. That's a career best. Mahomes, over 300 yards again. Now he's averaging 8.1 yards per attempt. That is a full yard more than last year. So much for the Chiefs offense going backwards. What was ailing them on this Sunday? Getting into the end zone. Missed opportunities. First and goals. Not converted into touchdowns. Against a better opponent, you could easily see this would have been trouble for the Chiefs. But the Rams are no longer a good opponent. The defending Super Bowl champs are anything but contenders. Their season spiraling out of control. Matt Stafford not playing on this day. Kansas City's defense holding the Rams to 198 total yards. Getting three sacks, two takeaways. It was fantastic. Carlos Dunlap with a tip pass that was picked off by Nick Bolton. Seemed like everybody contributed at some point. Nobody more than Chris Jones, who didn't just sack the quarterback and get free Big Macs for Chiefs fans. When he got sacked number 10 on the season, it's good for a $1.25 million bonus for Chris Jones. Suffice to say, he had a good Sunday. But what really shined in this game was the young players. Trent McDuffie at corner, outstanding. George Karloftis pick up a sack in this game. Isaiah Pacheco now is the top running back for the Chiefs. And as you saw the aging old Rams who put together a championship team by getting old veteran players and getting that one magical season, we see why the NFL is so difficult to sustain excellence. If you get old, you lose. The Chiefs have gotten younger, way younger over the last year, and it really showed on Sunday. How young are the Chiefs? Patrick Mahomes has only three teammates left from his first year as Chiefs quarterback. Three. That's 49 new players since Mahomes took over at quarterback. That is the way you run an NFL franchise. You get younger and younger. Patrick Mahomes on this Sunday on the pregame show on Fox saying he feels like the old man in there now. There's so many young players in there. It was really, really, really a good sign and a good day. It was not everything the Chiefs fans wanted. It wasn't always pretty, and we can certainly see there's a lot to improve and to work on and potential problems down the road if the Chiefs don't figure some of those things out. But my goodness, they're sitting atop the AFC. Miami and Buffalo are 8-3 and right behind the Chiefs. And Baltimore loses on this day. So does Tennessee. Cincinnati and the Jets, they all fall to 7-4, and two games back of the Chiefs, who have to keep the pedal to the middle. They just got to keep winning because Miami – And Buffalo seem to do a lot of that. Of course, they'll play each other again, and that will help the Chiefs with one of those opponents. Pretty darn good day. Chiefs continue to roll. No giant or serious injuries. LeJarrius Sneed went out of the game for a short period of time, but came back. So all in all, you don't make excuses or apologize for winning 26-10 in the NFL, even if you were supposed to dominate Bryce Perkins, who clearly was in over his head as quarterback for the Rams. 
We'll also get into college football with Stan Weber as he joins us in just a little bit. Kansas State is headed to the Big 12 championship game Saturday in Dallas, 11 a.m. against TCU. Many, many fans across the country are rooting for the Wildcats to knock TCU out of the college football playoff. The early line on this game is TCU favored by two and a half points. This looks to be a very, very good game on Saturday between the surging Wildcats, who clearly have found their quarterback now in Will Howard and dominated Kansas on Saturday night with a 20-point win over the Jayhawks. K-State was really good in this game, especially the difference between the two teams in special teams. At one point, the Jayhawks just decided to give up and start fair-catching kickoffs. They didn't want any part of the K-State special teams, and this was a big difference in this game. Quarterback play for Kansas State was outstanding. The special teams for K-State, really, really good. And after a rough first quarter and a half, K-State's defense against a Kansas offense and Jalen Daniels, who looked really good early on in this game, Kansas State played the last 35 minutes of this game. That's the end of the second quarter and the entire second half, giving up only six points. That's outstanding defense. That's their calling card. The Wildcats don't play 60 minutes of great defense all that often, although they have. They have. They shut out Oklahoma State, held Baylor to three. They've done that. There's a trend of making adjustments in-game, figuring an opponent out, and then stopping them. That's a reflection on the coaching staff. Chris Kleiman and his team got it done. They deserve to be there. It looked really, really grim a few weeks ago when they lost to Texas, but the Wildcats went out from there. They are 9-3, and 7-2. and two. Kansas awaits a bowl selection. And I don't know what everybody's waiting for on this one. It seems easy to me. It should just be KUMU and the Liberty Bowl. Why wouldn't it be? Let them play each other. I see a few sites that are predicting that, but others that simply aren't. Maybe the schools don't want it. Maybe it doesn't line up with the conference philosophy on where each team should go and whether that should be the bowl game. But to me, in a perfect world, this would be the easiest thing ever. If that happens, of course, Missouri would end its season with its two rivals. They beat Arkansas on Friday. Brady Cook with 242 yards passing and a touchdown in this game. He also ran for a buck 38 in a score. Missouri's defense really toughened up and got physical in the fourth quarter. And Ole Mizzou wins at 29-27 over Arkansas as all three of the teams I just mentioned are 6-6. Six and six. KU, Missouri, Arkansas, all 6-6, six and six, all bowl eligible. And wouldn't it be fun if Missouri played KU in a bowl game? Stan Weber will break it all down for us. On our football feast, brought to you by Cornerstone Property Management and Home Buyers. The website is homewithcornerstone.com. If you've got a rental property and you're tired of the headaches of collecting rent, making repairs, or managing the thing because of your busy schedule, have Cornerstone manage it for you. Homewithcornerstone.com. That's homewithcornerstone.com. Cornerstone also puts life back into tired homes. If you've got a house that's become a burden, they'd love to help you get free of that burden and make the house a home again for a new family. You know, we like saying at Cornerstone, we don't think your house is ugly. We'll buy the house, and we'll fix it. Flip it for you, and take it off your hands. If you'd like to unload a home, do it with Cornerstone Property Manage. Log on, homewithcornerstone.com. That's Cornerstone Property Management and Home Buyers, homewithcornerstone.com. Earth Effects Outdoor. Uh, This is a great landscaping company, and Hardscapes. Make a plan to spend more time outdoors at your home this spring with outdoor living, like an outdoor fire pit, a bar, a water feature, an outdoor kitchen. They build it all. Landscape beds, retaining walls. This is a great company. Daniel Hanks and his team have been in business over 25 years. They work anywhere in the Kansas City area, and 
They do regular landscaping and maintenance as well. If you'd like to get a plan for this spring, log on to eeoutdoor.com. That's Earth Effects Outdoor Living, eeoutdoor.com. 25 years experience. They'd love to build a hardscape for you in your backyard. And as always, with every sponsor that we have, you can find them at The KK List. That's thekklist.com, thekklist.com. We even had a gentleman from the Netherlands go to thekklist.com and find Finch Knife Company. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. And what'd he get? The new reciprocity. Yeah, that's a clever name for it. Revenge is a very, very dangerous motivation, says John Clark in Clear and Present Danger. But it's also the motivation for reciprocity, the new collection of pocket knives at Finch Knife Co. Online at finchknifeco.com or check them out at Shields in Overland Park. Online at finchknifeco.com. Keep life from getting dull. Life is never dull when we're talking about football, especially the Chiefs in first place. And all three of our area schools headed off to either a championship game or bowl games. Stan Weber's about to bring it. Hit it! The KK Has Issues Conversation is presented by Roberts Robinson's Chevrolet Buick GMC. Shop, click, drive at robertsrobinson.com. Well, if your Thanksgiving feast wasn't enough, we've got the football feast with Stan Weber and so much to discuss as the Chiefs knock off the Rams to get to 9-2 and two on the season. Hello, Stan. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Sunny, sunny, beautiful Kansas City day. Finishing off November here, and uh, man, Thanksgiving week is so much fun. There are so many sports that, to follow, so much food. I love if you get a chance to do some shopping or uh, get Friday off. Then you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, just so much fun. I always like it, and uh, I was in the Grand Cayman Islands for part of the week as well, so it's hard to <laughs> anything but uh, joy and sun in my world. Well, it was pretty good for everyone but KU fans. They lost a basketball game and a football game, but it's not all bad. Kansas is headed to a bowl game. We'll get into the college scenarios in a bit as K-State's getting ready to play in the Big 12 title game. But we started the podcast today, Stan. My thoughts on this game were pretty simple. I don't need to go into any great detail. We're a little spoiled as Chiefs fans. I mean, they're 9-2, and two, Mahomes threw for 320, and nobody's happy with the way the team played. I guess that's just where we are with the Chiefs these days? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, you are competing against uh, yourself and everything in life. I mean, that's, I know what drives your listeners, right? You just try to do your best every day. And it doesn't matter if you're in first place by 10 units or if you're in last place by three units, you just keep fighting. That's the best you could do. So under that scenario, you could say, Hey, let's play our best all the time. But if you just put it into an NFL terms, uh, it was just fine. There are plenty of games when you play 16 or now 17 games where you're just not going to have your best effort. Uh, You're going to have, a fumbled muff punt early in the game. Stuff like that is going to happen. Mahomes is going to throw maybe his worst interception ever, hitting the guy right in the numbers in the end zone with a nice, easy toss that you or I could have caught. Um, you know, those things happen, but you got to look at the record and you got to look at where you are and your health and those kind of things. And so Chiefs are in great shape. Uh, this game was over uh, the, right after the muff punt. The Rams didn't do anything. Game over. Their quarterback should be playing at Virginia, not in the NFL. I mean, he just doesn't threaten you at all. And sometimes a backup quarterback can get a little spark, do something. That was not the case. Cooper Cup is a super wide receiver. You know, they didn't have any good receivers. They had an inexperienced quarterback. They don't have good running backs. Uh, You know, end of game, Chiefs are going to win. So I don't put much value in anything that happened, Kevin. The Chiefs knew it. 
They knew they were going to win. They tried to celebrate another day in Arrowhead. You never take those for granted when you're a Kansas City Chiefs football player. You try to honor that. You're lucky to play eight games this year in the regular season at home. They did that. They, they did played with effort, but it wasn't pretty. But they knew they were going to win. I just, you know, this is a, a non-factor. This game was thought to be going in, Kevin. I want to pat you on the back. This is one thing that I hear only you say, no one else, and even I have not joined you into this comment. So this is a Kevin Keatsman speech special, okay? When you get look at the offseason and you get the schedules out, man, you go down a schedule. It is so much fun. But then people talk about how hard schedules are or are not. And you're the only one that says, what happened last year in the NFL has nothing to do with what's going to happen in the NFL this year. And by the end of the year, you definitely don't know who's going to be good or bad. So don't tell me it's a hard schedule or an easy schedule. I'm not listening. You've done that consistently. And this game is the feature Kevin Keatsman statement uh, (laughs) fulfiller. Because this is the number two game, Kevin, starting the year. This is the second was the one you had to look forward to as a neutral NFL fan and Super Bowl champions Rams at Arrowhead only happens once every eight years. Rams at Chiefs is a feature game, probably the second most hyped game going into the year, and it was just another dud game, no big deal. How can that happen? You're right. You just cannot project in offseason what's going to happen next year. Yeah, let's not even talk about the four games they have against the Broncos and Raiders that we thought were going to be murderers row, and they're not going to be. Clearly, the Broncos in complete and utter disarray. So, yes, the schedule getting easier, but it doesn't get any easier this week. The Chiefs are going to play the Bengals. Now, you have you like the Bengals. I know you like the Bengals, um, but I, I don't think you're in love with the Bengals. Cincinnati is now 7-2 and two since starting the season 0-2, oh and, and they get a big win on Sunday. They're hot. They were in the Super Bowl last year. They beat the Chiefs. They've been tough on the Chiefs. What do you make of this matchup this week? Yeah, this is a legitimate matchup. Uh, it's not do or die for the Chiefs, but you still, you know, when you talk about competing against the best, we also can talk about in football terms, we've had our eyes up to the Northeast the whole time. That number one seed in the battle with Buffalo, right? You've got to respect that. Uh, if you lose a tiebreaker to the Bengals, what happens if they got hot and could knock you off? So it's an important regular season game in the NFL, a lot to play for, but it's not a disaster. The Chiefs got the AFC West. Uh, they're going to have to beat teams like the Bengals in the playoffs. It's going to be dangerous. But for the psychology of the football team, it's probably about time to get it done, right? I mean, you lost to the Bengals twice in regular season last year. Uh, they took care of Buffalo in the playoffs. They lost to Buffalo in the regular season last year. Then the Chiefs beat them in the playoffs, lost to them this year in the regular season. And where do you think the psychology of that is, Kevin? Chiefs are fine. It's like, hey, bring it on, Buffalo. We'll beat you in the playoffs. But if the Bengals beat them for a third straight time with Joe Burrow as the quarterback, you can, you can start having a psychological effect that you don't want to have. And mostly, it's confidence from the Bengals, right? You know, they're not sure what they are because they are not an established program. Doing it one time, like the Rams did it, does not mean you're going to do it the next year. Look at the Rams this year. It's not easy staying up at that level. And the Bengals have been bouncing around. You're just not, they're not there like they were at the end of last year. They're not that dangerous, but they're not far away. They just need a little more confidence. And a win over the Chiefs could make the Bengals equal with the Buffalo Bills about a team that's going to be hard to beat in the playoffs. So in that sense, a uh, fun game, a big game for the Chiefs is not do or die. I'm not going to be down on what the Chiefs can do this season or their prospect of winning the Super Bowl, all that after this game. But in their hearts, you know, when they turn it on, when Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes 
Travis Kelsey kind of get mad and say, we're going to do it now, they expect results. And they're at that point with the Bengals. They're like, let's go. We This is this is too many losses. You beat us in a championship game last year. Patrick Mahomes, when he's asked about it after the game, I mean, he had a stern look on his face, not the kind of joyful, fun-loving guy at the podium. It was like, I played awful in the second half. He knows it. It's time to turn it around. So big opportunity, at least psychology-wise, uh, to win this ball game and set the Bengals step back down. And the worst position you can put the Bengals in, the better, Kevin, because I do think they're going to be a nasty team to try to beat in the playoffs. Well, the Bengals do one thing better than anybody in the NFL, and if if they're not going to call the penalties in this league and they do not like to call this penalty, you might as well take advantage of it. Bengals wide receivers are the best I've seen anywhere in this league, and they did it again Sunday against the Titans. They were very effective two or three times, including a long touchdown pass at offensive pass interference. They just shove the cornerbacks, get them out of the way. They've got big physical receivers, jump up, catch the ball, and officials are just I don't know, Stan, and it's it's not just pro football. It's all football. It's almost like the officials are coached to not call offensive pass interference, and nobody's better at the Bengals than creating space by pushing off. Yeah, and then Joe Burrow will throw it into coverage more than anybody else as well. So he is completely confident, and they'll get their share of defensive pass interference calls by just throwing the ball up. So they throw the ball upfield, downfield, attack, better than anybody in the NFL, Kevin. They are looking for the 15 to 25-yard range to throw the ball. Most NFL teams are looking about 7 to 12 yards and get a little run after catch, or they'll throw a ball, right? Their deep throwing game is a deep post or a long fly pattern. Uh, the Bengals, they're throwing comebacks, deep dig routes. They are dominating in the 15 to 20-yard range, and they'll throw back shoulder throws and put it on a line and just say, you're big and strong. You'll shove, you won't get called, and if they accidentally grab your wrist on your one hand, they'll call pass interference. So the Bengals really do those things well, Kevin. It is dangerous. The downfield passing game, uh, the way Joe, Joe Burrow throws, the way those guys are big and strong, and the way they attack the ball, you're going to see more defensive pass interference calls than offensive, guaranteed. They just do not call that. Uh, that's the philosophy, and it's been that way. Wow. It, we're going on 25, 30 years where they just say offensive players – kind of get to do anything they want except for what they're not letting one guy pick for the other that's the one they're calling if you're the outside receiver you go in and bump into the inside defender uh, so the slot receiver can switch places with you they'll call that every time on the offense but otherwise when the ball is in the air and you're downfield they don't call offensive pass interference hardly ever yeah all right a final thought on sunday's game then we'll move on and talk about a lot of the goings on in college football because there's just a ton of things to talk about here I thought if if there was ever a week that you give a game ball to the general manager or the personnel staff, maybe this was that game. Because looking at the Rams, who clearly put together an old football team to try to win one Super Bowl, and the Chiefs and all these young players, and we saw them contribute in a big way on Sunday. McDuffie was terrific. Karloftis had a sack. Pacheco's become the number one running back. We're seeing it all over the place with these younger players. I just think it's a powerful statement of how you run your team compared to the way other teams in this. Like, they all know they're supposed to get younger. I don't know why other teams can't do it. Patrick Mahomes only has three teammates left on this roster from his first year, Stan. He's got he's got 48 teammates that are newer than him. I mean, this is crazy what they've done with this roster, and I thought it was just kind of an example of if you were ever going to pat the personnel department on the back, I think Sunday was it. Yeah, good point, Kevin, with Brett Veach. Uh, you, the turnover in the NFL is normal 
even with a, a Patrick Mahomes statement that ha- that's how quickly it turns over in the NFL. But that doesn't mean you're any good. You know, to stay good and act like it's the same old Kansas City Chiefs. You see him running out on the field. You see Andy Reid over there and Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and you just think it's the same old group. You know, and that's what happened when Lynn Dawson and Otis Taylor and and those guys were out there. They did get old together, Kevin, and they were really good on the upward swing. Awesome when they peaked out and good on the way down. But then when they got old, Chiefs went, what, 15 years without good football? You don't see that in play right here, do you? I mean, look at what they have. Yeah, how do you replace Patrick Mahomes? But that's a a dozen years down the road, hopefully. The other guys, they're restocking a better defensive team than they've been the last three or four years, Kevin. How about that? They're not only young and new and not too expensive on the salary cap. They're actually better players on the defensive side than they were before. So just an amazing upswing. Uh, Pacheco being the starting running back as a low-level draft choice. You're exactly right. They deserve a ton of credit, especially in 2022, because having a whole new secondary, uh, two years ago, three years ago, I would have been saying to you, Kevin, there's no doubt Tyron Matthew is the straw, the straw that stirs that defensive drink. You know, he, you've got to have him on the field. He's a playmaker. The Chiefs aren't that great on defense, but he and Chris Jones, they're the guys that can make a difference. He's not even in the lineup, and he didn't play well last year. He was one of the problems. They get all new guys, and they're playing better than they did when Tyron Matthew was playing well. It's crazy. So great job, Brett Veach, Andy Reid, whatever input he has in there, and the way the organization works together uh, from the scouting staff up to the general manager, the head coach, assistant coaches. They all have their certain level of opinions. Different different programs have different levels of, of input from people, but the Chiefs have found the right formula. Whatever they're doing, it is working very, very well. And another thing, I got to pat him on the back again for the, the thousandth time. Patrick Mahomes' contract is the perfect contract. The perfect contract. We don't need to go into the details of all that, but the way they set that up is the easiest thing to move money around in a salary cap year after year after year. He never becomes a giant burden on the team because he has so much flexibility in how they've written the contract. He deserves a lot of credit, and they deserve a lot of credit. But they gave him, what, $500 million in his contract. It'll end up being more when it's all said and done. But they they put, put that thing in place so well. They deserve credit on the salary cap side with their big big guy. And on the little guys like Pacheco, who doesn't cost you hardly any money, he's a contributing factor. The DB is unbelievable. You're right. I mean, this game was over. Like I said, after the muff punt, Rams didn't do anything. Game over. I texted my buddies. goes, this is over. There's just no drama here at all. The Chiefs are going to win the game. No doubt. Don't get sad about it. Don't uh, just be happy that your team's that good. But you're right. To focus in on the other aspects of how the Chiefs continue to do things to build for the long, long, long term is not easy to do in the NFL. Well, there was one other game this weekend where a muffed punt ended the game, and that was when Kansas muffed a punt early and K State went up 7 nothing after starting the game uh, with a three and out. And then Kansas State never looked back. I mean, they, they had this game, they led the entire way. They had control of it. They were scoring. There was a, a huge disparity in special teams in this game against Kansas. I, I just never felt in doubt to me. Um, some Kansas State fans were like, oh, we wanted to whip them worse than that or whatever. I don't know. I thought it was a really nice performance by the Wildcats. I don't think K-State played its best game. I thought KU, for the better part of the first half, played very well offensively. I thought they brought a fight to K-State. They just weren't good enough. But, Stan, we've seen a trend 
There's been some games this year where K-State's defense is like really good. They shut out Oklahoma State. They gave up three to Baylor. They've had games where they haven't given up touchdowns and been really good the entire game. But I think even more impressive than that is the number of games where we've seen them struggle at some point in the game defensively and not stop their opponent, make adjustments or change in-game and become really good. And that's kind of what happened Saturday night. KU scored six points in the last 35 minutes of this game. Kansas State really turned up the defense. What was the most impressive part of this game for you? Well, the, the whole team just contributing is the impressive thing. The bounce-back ability of the offense when they get stressed. Uh, the last two games are much alike, okay? you got to go back to the West Virginia game on the road as well, Kevin, where West Virginia lit up the scoreboard, had 19 points at the end of the first quarter and 25 points at halftime, and it basically didn't score the rest of the way. So two weeks in a row, the offense attacked K-State did a good job, had their reasons why they played well, and then K-State made the adjustments and slowed them down on defense. So Joe Klanerman's done a great job as a defensive coordinator. Kevin, you don't hear his name very much, but he's doing a fantastic job. Remember, he did not grow up knowing anything about the 3-3-5 defense. They implemented that last year. He and Chris Kleiman, who's a defensive guru, those two guys have been together. They had an even man front. They had their philosophies on defense. It worked. They won national championships at North Dakota State. They've been good at K-State, and then they switched it all up and took a risk and said, we're going to change to what is going to work better in the Big 12 and against modern football, and now they've taught themselves so well. And that means even adjustments in-game of how they adjust things. The 3-3-5 gives you a lot of flexibility because in football, it's very simple. It doesn't matter if it's a 4-3 or 3-4, Kevin. Four guys should rush the passer when there is a pass play. If you rush a fourth guy who didn't line up, at the line of scrimmage, that is not a blitz, okay? It's not a blitz. It has to be a fifth guy. Four guys is normal. But when you line up in a 3-3-5, that fourth guy can be safeties, cornerbacks, or those three linebackers, right? There's a ton of variability. And that means you can adjust. And they've done a fantastic job on a defensive side of adjusting in-game and slowing things down. Kansas's offense is very, very good. West Virginia played well. After K-State scored 14 points and and after K-State scored against Kansas quickly and, and had a nice lead, Kansas went down and said, hey, we got, we're going to put some momentum in here. We're the underdog, and look what we just did. We drove down for a touchdown. For the Wildcats offense to respond week after week, and especially in these last two weeks, Kevin, when West Virginia made a great drive and said, as an underdog, this is the perfect time for us to stress you out. You punt the ball back to us and watch out. Sequencing around halftime, K-State, lost a fumble before the half, Kevin. KU, down by nine, got the football. They'd scored uh, three touchdowns. They got the football. They're going to get the ball to start the second half. Great opportunity to sequence a game out and get tons of pressure on the K-State team and the K-State defense put them three and out and then did it one more time before halftime. But the offense, all game long, if Kansas would score, the offense would go down and score right after it. And they did that in the West Virginia game. They did that in the Kansas game. And, Kevin, for you to feel comfortable and say, you know, I think K-State has this game in control, it took the response drive. Like arena football, when a team scores, you say no big deal because you're supposed to, in a 50-yard field, go score a touchdown yourself. K-State's giving you the confidence, Kevin, that, oh, they'll go back down and score. You know, KU's not that close. And sure enough, they're not. And K-State had good control of the game. So I think offensively uh, for K-State in the last two weeks, to look at some scoring happen and look at momentum possibly turning against them and acting like it's no big deal and going out and functioning and scoring right back at them 
has been the most impressive thing. Uh, but you, you, you pointed out, well, the defense, has, it gets better during the game. K-State seems to figure it out. It's maybe the players getting used to what style they're playing, but I think it's the coaches with subtle adjustments. And a 3-3-5, it's really just an adjustment uh, portfolio. You can do so many things differently, and it seems like they start dialing things up, finding a new way of doing it, slowing teams down. KU deserves a lot of credit. There's some guys at K-State uh, that I see on the, the day of the game, right? Hours before the game, there's a group of, of people that I see for the first time in, in maybe a week, and they come up and they say, okay, got to hear it. You're, you've done your final analysis. Uh, you looked at everything. How's this game going to go down? And what I said, Kevin, then host studied up, you know, much more than I am on a Monday morning. Sorry to say that. But uh, Saturday before the game, I put in all my work, kind of like a test in college. I, I'm ready to roll at test time, which me is game time. And I get on there and I say, hey, okay, you could score 30. I mean, they're that good. They're that good on offense. And if Jalen Daniels has burned off some of the rust of being out for a while in the last game, which I think he probably did against Texas, he stayed in extra to burn more of the rust off. If Jalen Daniels is himself, I could see them scoring around 30 points. The difference is you just got to go get 40. And that's kind of how it played out. Just like yeah. I thought before the game, Kansas' offense is good, Kevin. It really is good. The, the most yards per play. Don't talk about total yardage in the college game, Kevin. In pros, you can talk about total yardage. But in college, there's so many different number of plays between uh, depending on how teams run their offense, huddling or not. Yards per play is the biggest thing. Here's a little thing for you to put in perspective. The most yards per play in K-State history is 6.5. 1998, Michael Bishop. You remember those boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, 19, most yards per play by Kansas in their history, 1950. You don't remember that, Kevin. 6.4 yards per play. How about that? They're sitting right about the same, right? 6.5, 6.4. You get your marker, okay? You got your standard in mind. KU went into the K-State game averaging 7.2 yards per play all year, 11 games. I don't know what the, it is now after the K-State game, but that's how good their offense is. It's legitimate. They're doing a great job. Uh, but K-State found a way to figure it out. And I, I like you, after that buff punt and K-State scoring, it felt like K-State was going to win the game the whole time. Yeah. It just well, it felt like I, they they can do so many. K State's so variable. They're not great at anything, but they're good at everything. All right, I'll continue to say Will Howard, the quarterback for Kansas State, is the biggest surprise I've ever seen at Kansas State ever. Um, because we you know we've seen him play a little bit before, but nobody thought he was this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just don't know anybody that thought that. You, I know you thought okay, he's he sees the field. He's a smart guy. We know players get better. I just didn't think he physically had the arm for it. I just I just didn't think there was enough there in the arm talent. But we we got into a discussion with some friends over this weekend and I got some buddies that think he holds the ball too long in the pocket. And I and my response to that is who holds the ball longer than Patrick Mahomes? I mean, sometimes it's stepping out of the pocket, it's buying time. If Will Howard is moving out and feels the pocket and isn't getting sacked right and left and he isn't and Adrian Martinez, I thought, held the ball a lot earlier this year, but he would just throw the ball away. He would hold it, hold it, hold it, and then just throw it away. If Will Howard is buying time and holding the ball and finding Sammy Wheeler at the five-yard line for a touchdown, that's good football. Where do you stand on how long you hold the ball? You see any of these tendencies? Howard did have one ball stripped away from him in this game, and I think that's what got some of these my buddies a little upset. I think the longer you hold the ball, the better chance you have to find somebody wide open. Am I crazy? Uh, no, you're not crazy at all. Now, your buddies, I got to get a little more context. Where were you guys drinking? <laughs> no, no, we were not. We're watching the game. <laughs> no, 
No, they they had to be drinking. There's a lot of pregame drinking to come up with these comments. Really. <laughs> I'm telling you. They're like, he holds it too long. He holds it too long. I'm like, the longer he can hold it, the more open somebody's going to get, and he finds guys. Now, I didn't like the strip sack thing either. I didn't like the ball knocked loose, but that was your left tackle getting beat. I think it was the left tackle just got just abused on that play. And it was a great defensive play. It's going to happen. I felt like watching Howard this year, you know, you've talked a lot about his vision down the field. I think he has a feel in the pocket for where the pressure is. I won't say he has eyes in the back of his head, but he seems to have a real feel for where it is. It doesn't bother me at all. Explanation point, explanation point, explanation point. <laughs> I I know it's cold outside and people are drinking some heavy stuff right now to stay warm. So I, I don't really drink that much. So I don't know if I want to know what these guys are drinking. But <laughs> I'm going, you need to talk about the tailgate parties because uh, he had one fumble and it was because Kansas has a good pass rusher who beat K-State's left tackle. And KT Levinson is having a great year. He is playing at a level that might be first team all Big 12 at left tackle. But he got beat on that play. And Will Howard got stripped. That's the only time that's happened all year. I just don't. Okay, let's just go. I'll just forget you said that, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> he he is so good at getting rid of the ball so fast. He gets rid of the ball too fast sometimes. He sees a blitz and he rips a pass one time. Remember I told you about the time that Deuce Vaughn was running upfield and the ball just bounced uh, against Oklahoma yeah. State, I think it was. It bounced and Deuce didn't look up in time. It's like. He saw the blitz and knew what was going on and threw the ball early, and Deuce was not used to it. It's like, right. no one throws the ball that fast in practice. I mean, what's going on? Uh, Will, well, Will's got to slow his brain down. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you know how fa- coaches want to slow him down, Kevin. He makes his decisions too fast. Well, you know how fans uh, so, are. They all want him to throw it 30 or 40 yards downfield. They don't want the little quick hitter to Deuce. They, they, no, fans, <laughs> fans do not see quick passes. And Mahomes throws a zillion of them, too, by the way, sometimes sidearm. Okay, but I'm talking about when you're looking for that big play, the more time you have, the better. The whole idea of offensive line play is to create a clean pocket and buy your quarterback more time and your receivers more time to get open. The longer you have to complete passes down the field, the more likely your guy's going to be wide open. And I'm, I just, I, I don't even understand it. So it isn't the short passes. It's they want these big chunk plays. I'm like, well, look at the one where he threw to Wheeler. Look how open Wheeler was at the five-yard line. That's what I was going to say, Kevin. This is the perfect game to say what are you talking about um the touchdown to wheeler was because he held the ball moved in the pocket from right to left and looked downfield and he was wide open he caught the ball like we do when we play backyard football yeah. you throw the ball and he, he stood there with his back to the goal line caught it and waited for the football and then there was another one going left to right on your tv screen where he did the same thing and threw to philip brooks upfield so will howard had two off script touchdown or big plays against Kansas when he held the ball, moved in the pocket and threw the ball and he had one strip sack. So this game is not the game to be talking about the issues your buddies were talking about. Sorry, I like your buddies, but this time completely <laughs> off base on this a wrong game to talk about. So Will Howard's doing just very, very fine. But that said, we cannot use the name Patrick Mahomes much because when Patrick scrambles, it is weird. It is with complete athleticism he might scramble for 11 yards he might throw it with behind the back pass you know it's just amazing when he keeps a play alive what he does with it and will howard's not dealing like that okay that'd be more that almost be more like adrian martinez scrambling where hey i might run i might pass see somebody will howard he wears number 18 he liked peyton manning sometime in his life 
he reminds me of him when he's moving in the pocket. He has two hands on the ball, kind of scooting through, not real fast, but his eyes are upfield. He wants to throw the ball from the pocket. Go back to the West Virginia game, Kevin. He had a he scrambled out to the right in the red zone, and it looked like he had green grass or green turf in front of him to possibly get inside the five, maybe to the goal line. And you knew he's going to run. And you know what he did? Threw the ball to Ben Sennett in the back of the end zone. Yeah. I mean, he is scrambling to throw the ball and throw the ball upfield. So right. that's Will Howard's strength. Well, and the fact that he got stripped, he's not happy about it, Kevin. It's in his notes, and it's in his, imprinted in his brain. And I'm going to see Will – when I see Will uh, next, I'm going to tell him, hey, there's K-State fans that want you to triple imprint in your brain. Don't let the left tackle miss blocks ever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Saturday it's the Big 12 championship game, Kansas State and TCU. This looks like it's going to be a terrific game. On the line here, TCU has a chance to be in the college football playoff. And I saw at 538, which is a website and some other sites, that there's some sort of 48% chance if K-State wins that they could get into the college football playoff. This would be if USC loses, and I don't know who else has to, to lose. And I, I looked at that and I went, this is not true. I see it circulating on social media. There's no human committee that is going to allow Kansas State in the college football playoff with three losses over a one-loss Ohio State team. I cannot see any realm of possibility on earth where that would ever happen. Is there any chance with a win that Kansas State is in consideration? Well, this is the first time I thought about it, so that means it's pretty low in my mind because you're right. Uh, the committee so far has valued the name and tradition of and and of, of teams very, very much in tie-breaking situations. It started that way when TCU and Baylor deserved to get in. One of the two did the first year of the college football playoff, and instead they put Ezekiel Elliott and Urban Meyer and the Ohio State Buckeyes in, right? And Ohio State won the championship, so you could argue they, they made a good call. But there's, I, I, I said tradition. Let's look at it another way. They look at the athletes. And they look at the athletes and they have their people in the committee and they're looking at the games and the stats, but they also look at the teams and they go, oh, look at that Ohio State roster. It's full of NFL players. Or look at that Alabama roster. So Alabama's sitting there with two losses and Ohio State, especially with one Kevin, that are putting up a blockade that makes it very, very hard. So yeah, I mean, I guess you could make it. I've never thought about it because the scenario has to be Georgia has to get beat by LSU, but does the Georgia stay in? To the college football player, yeah, if they lose a game? I think everybody says Georgia's in. Georgia and Michigan are in, I think, no matter what happens. I think everybody's in agreement on that. I, well, I just don't Michigan, see Michigan it. Michigan loses to Purdue. But anyway, K-State would have to blow TCU out. You know, it'd have to be 52-17, to 17, and a bunch of other things happen. Now, the college football playoff, we're not talking about that. It is somewhat interesting because a USC might lose, and Alabama's sitting there with two losses. Ohio State right. with one. Right. There are some – it's going to be hard to decide who deserves to go in because LSU uh, lost again. Okay. Right. So it's hard to value them, but so anyway, it's going to be very, very interesting. And, and by the way, the I other don't thing, think about this. It's not yeah. about that. It's not about that for K-State. You know, they're going no, to the Sugar Bowl. Right. Go, go, go win the go Big win 12 championship. championship. Yes. If go. you win the Big 12 championship, Kevin, you tie for the second most Big 12 championships in the 27 years of Big 12 football. Yeah. Oklahoma's got it by a mile. But then if you win three championships, you tie Texas, who won them all in the first 15 years. Yep. You tie Texas and you tie uh, Baylor in championships. But you become the only team other than Oklahoma to win it in all three phases of the Big 12. There was the original phase of division yeah, that's right. and championship games. 
K-State won one under that scenario and in 2003. There was six years where you just did full round robin and said whoever's they got the best record wins the championship. K-State won in that segment in 2012. And if they win in this new championship game, they would be the only team that, other than Oklahoma that's won in each of those three styles. So big deal yeah. for K-State to go win a big – it's hard. And to win Big 12 championships in any sport, Kevin. But football is the feature sport by 100. If you can get one in football, man, right. that is amazing. Okay, and, and people aren't talking enough about TCU. Their resume is actually better than these other teams. It's crazy. They've got, they've got more ranked wins. They've got, if you look at the computer and all the metrics and everything else, it will tell you that TCU has the best undefeated record of any of them, that they've played more good teams and the whole deal. I don't know how to gauge TCU. I mean, they were amazing against Iowa State this past week. But we watched them, you know, eke the Baylor game out. We watched them have to come from behind 28-10 to 10 against Kansas State when K-State had quarterback problems in that game and win that game. They've had some really close calls. Is TCU definitively the best team in the Big 12, or is this game about to be a battle of two teams that are very even? It's going to be a battle. Uh, you can't disrespect a team that went undefeated. When, knowing how to win close games, Kevin, is really an attribute, you know, not a cutdown. So we've got to give it to TCU that when their backs to the wall against Oklahoma State, especially against K-State, that they were able to find ways to come back. They played other close games. The Big 12 has been incredibly competitive this year. That game at SMU they played with their head coach, uh, Sonny Dykes, who just left SMU, the Metroplex. SMU and TCU have been like twin schools for the history of college football until TCU got lucky and got to be a part of the Big 12, right? Then they separated. But he left SMU. They had to go play SMU, and they had to prove it in that game. So they played a stressful 10 games this year out of their 12. They found a way to win. But when you lay it down on paper, uh, you come over to my house, Kevin, and we study the tape. We look at the confidence level, how they match up. Any metric you want to look at, uh, not just on paper, but in real football terms, K-State matches up very, very well with TCU and very evenly. So I think K-State's got a big chance. Now, should it be 40? Or 50. Pick your number between 40 and a 50% chance of winning. 40 at worst. 50 at best because uh, you got to respect TCU. Uh, TCU, the thing that they do, Kevin, is they have explosiveness that no one else in the league has. So you've got to understand that Clinton Johnson at six foot four is such an elite receiver. It's incredible. Darius Davis is so fast. Tay Barber is so good. They've got other guys like Savion Williams, Jacorius, Spidey. These receivers are elite, but they got a great running back in Kendra Miller, and they got a quarterback in Max Duggan, who is a lot like Will Howard. He's an old-school quarterback, Kevin, that wasn't the starter at the beginning of the year. He was not the starter at the beginning of the year. Chandler Morris was. But he said, I'm not transferring. I want my degree from TCU. I want to hang out with my friends and my football friends and be a part of TCU football, and no matter what you need me to do to win, let me know. Well, what they needed him to do is step up and be physical. He is a big runner. He throws great. He looks downfield and throws deep. These two quarterbacks want to hurt you throwing the ball downfield, and yet Max Duggan can run very, very well. TCU has every part of their team that's good. But here's the thing. Remember I said K-State's not great at anything? They're good at everything? I should have said, except for Deuce Vaughn, who's great. So they got Deuce Vaughn and solidness across the board. Well, guess what? TCU has a deep-throwing threat and solidness across the board. They are not dominant on the defensive side, Kevin. K-State can score against them just like they did in the first game. 
they can continue to do that. It should be a high-scoring game. And just pick your number. Every listener, pick your number. If you hate K-State, pick 40%. If you love K-State, pick 50 or somewhere between a 40 and a 50% chance. That's how big a chance this is. Even though TCU deserves to be in a college football playoff if they win, Kevin, because these Michigans and Ohio State, they're not that good. The Big Ten stinks. Kevin, the Big Ten stinks. And Ohio State barely beat Northwestern, barely beat Maryland, and got whipped by Michigan. So these teams have big names, but they're not dominant. The only team that can even look in the mirror and say we're a dominant team, the only team, is Georgia. Yeah. Everybody else is not that much different. So bring it on. What I hope is K-State beats TCU, wins a championship. I hope K-State plays Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And bring it on, Kevin. That's going to be a competitive game. Because this Alabama team is not the same as it's been in the past. College football, the elite is not much different, Kevin, than the 30th best team in the country. And that's a good thing. That's that's a good thing for it's college. It's really football. good. The yeah. parity is really really good right now. Really good. Maybe Georgia isn't parity, right? Maybe Georgia isn't. They may be too good. But give me anybody else. Michigan, you can compete with them, Kevin. And so, yeah, Alabama would be the favorite over K State. But this is the year to play them. I wouldn't want to play them in most of the last ten years. But this year, that would be fun. We'll play them. All right. So the Missouri Tigers on Friday beat Arkansas, their rival. And I want to spend a little time here on KU and MU. Uh, Kansas kind of limped to the finish, man. They finished, what, one and six in their last seven games. They had an injury at quarterback. They had issues. Missouri was, a couple of players said after the game, look, we went through hell this year. We don't know if we're supposed to say that or not. We've been through hell here. We feel like we came back. Brady Cook was terrific in this game. The defense was very good in the fourth quarter against Arkansas to get the win. And I I mean, I don't know why we're not just, KU and MU should be playing each other in a bowl game. I, this, this seems like the first one off the board. Let's match these two up the Liberty Bowl, and let's go play it. I mean, I'd be really excited for something like that. Uh, Missouri finished a little stronger than Kansas, but Kansas has their quarterback back. If if this is going to happen, should do you think it should happen? They should play each other. Will it happen? And who would you like in that matchup? Well, I do think it should happen, and I'd love to see it. Uh, both teams, you don't have to jigger things around. They both deserve to play in the Liberty Bowl. If you match up and look at the picks, why wouldn't they be picked? The guy who gets to decide it, though, is the power-hungry guy in all of college football, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner. He kind of dishes out the SEC teams the way he wants. You, the Bulls don't come to the SEC and say, we're picking this team. That's not the way it works in the SEC. In other conference, it is, Kevin. You go down the list, and there's certain rules, like you can't pick a team that finished two spots worse than another team just because you want them in your bowl game, unless they played in the bowl game last year. you know. But it's not like that in the SEC. So. What does he think about it? What does he think about it? If Kansas were to go to, to the Liberty Bowl, will he put Missouri in there, or will the Missouri Athletic Department give him a call and say, uh, we don't want to play Kansas. Why don't you move us to another bowl, and it's over. So the likelihood of it, ah, man, it's a flip of a coin in my mind. I'm not sure Missouri slash the SEC wants Kansas to have a chance to play against Missouri. Because I yeah. think it's advantage Kansas to get that opportunity over Missouri. Okay, and that's because KU's offense is so good? No, no, I'm talking about just psychologically. Just okay. the, yeah. the, the KU has everything to gain. Missouri has yeah. everything to lose. See. I don't think Missouri wants to play Kansas. Now, when you match the teams up, it will be a lot of fun because Missouri's defense is legitimate, and the SEC fronts, Kevin, are different. They really are. Missouri's a legitimate SEC front, so they're going to cause some havoc on the Kansas offensive line, which is just okay. Think about how good an offensive coordinator Kansas has at head coach. Their offensive line, Kevin, 
is just average to below average Big 12, and yet they are lighting it up. So they are working around an average offensive line, doing it with great quarterback play, great design, and Devin Neal and those type of things. So Missouri will really stress Kansas and slow down their offense because of their big defensive front. But Kansas is excited. Um, they, they will play hard, and I would expect a close game. i got to give a slight advantage to Missouri because I think that they're going to be able to physically keep the ball, run the ball, Brady Cook scramble, and, and maybe be able to outscore KU. But, man, if Missouri outscoring anybody is a rare thing, right? They haven't even yeah. scored 30 points against a legitimate big-time opponent this year. So it'll be, it'll be a very okay. even game. But be, the question would be, could Kansas light up the scoreboard enough to stress Missouri, or will the physicality of Missouri be the difference? And, and you just got to respect the physicality of Missouri to start with. All right, the bigger issue here is what you just touched on, is you don't know if Missouri would want to play this game. And look, I think I think when you're an athletic director at one at any of these schools, okay, in this case, Kansas and Missouri, if you're an AD, what I really don't like about college sports and sports in general is we've gotten to a place where the last thing anybody thinks of is the fans. And I don't understand that. And to me, this is really easy. The KUAD and the Missouri AD both ought to be on the phones with their commissioners just pounding on them that they want this game for their fans, period. And what bowl? The Liberty Bowl would love to have them. They'll sell the thing out. My God, these bowls don't sell all their tickets. They'd love to have this matchup. I don't, I don't even understand how this is a conversation. This should be done already. Yeah, you know, that's very interesting. And you're right. That should happen. It should flow the other direction. You know, if you... If you pined for it and said you wanted it to happen, the chances of it would go up greatly because the bull is going to be happy as heck. So, you, you know, the bull has some opinion in this, and there's rules and regulations and how they select. But the Liberty Bowl would love to see the place with KU and Mizzou drivable to Memphis on Beale Street partying, uh, the, all the restaurants and the bars and the hotels. It would be so much fun. So they're not going to be saying anything, right? And if Greg Sankey got a call from the AD from Mizzou and said, we want to play Kansas, can we work this out? I think the odds go high. You know, you're looking at a 75% plus chance if they both want to play. But what is Missouri's stance? How much do they really believe in their finish of the season? If, if she really believed in Eli Drinkwitz, like she gave him a big contract, right? He just got a giant, giant contract, Kevin, with about three weeks left in the season. If they believe in Missouri that much, and they look at how well they played against Arkansas and how they finished the year, then this is the way to make Missouri football exciting to the Missouri fan. It's double or nothing, maybe triple or nothing, but you're right, Kevin. If you really believe in Missouri, there's nothing that can make a Missouri fan smile about the 2022 season more than saying, we beat Arkansas, we got into college football, we got into the, the bowl game, and then you beat Kansas. Then you get a smile on your face. That's seven and six record is like great-tasting food, right? But right now, how can you be excited, I mean, super excited about 2022? If you're a Missouri fan, it's like, yeah, it was okay. We met bare minimum. I mean, we beat Arkansas, but we got whipped by K-State, and we dumped a couple of games. And it's kind of a, uh, you know, up and down for Missouri. You beat KU? No one talks about the up and down. So I, I love your idea. If I'm a Missouri uh, administrator who believes in Eli Drinkwitz, I go, bring on Kansas. This is the way. A seven and six season seems like a nine and four season. Yep. Think of the fans first. They just don't do it often enough. But Stan Weber does. 
And that's why he's on here. He loves that so many football fans listen to this podcast and hear his thoughts every Monday or after every Chiefs game. Stan, this is fun. This is a great football season we're having right now. We wish you the best with your call on Saturday with the Cats against the Horned Frogs in the Big 12 title game. Hope to run into you down there. I'll be down there with my sons, and uh, we'll catch up. We'll, we'll definitely catch up. I'll find you somewhere in Texas this weekend. How's that sound? You're going to have a great championship feel, Kevin, because TCU's campus, 20 miles away from AT&T Stadium. So my wife is going like, gosh, don't they have like a home field advantage? I go, the problem is TCU has so few students. K-State has, what, four times more students graduating every year, and it piles up. And Dallas is a big area for K-State fans. Houston is not a bad area for K-State fans, and K-State fans will travel for a big game. So this should be close to 50-50, and that's what championship games should be like, right? When every play, there's a roar for one team or the other. A great respect from these two programs for each other. High-level football being played and a lot at stake. Both TCU and K-State do not take championships for granted like Oklahoma might. This is a big-time game. It is an even game and uh, so much to gain for each of these teams, man. So hope hope to see you down there, Kevin. Uh, look real closely because you're going to walk by people who are partying and having fun. You just got to look real close because they're wearing purple. So do they have a power cat on or do they have a a TCU on their clothes? It's going to be hard to tell who's with you and who's not. But be careful, Kevin. I want you to enjoy this game. Please, please take this one bit of advice. I know you can party, have fun, drink if you want. Don't drink what your buddies are drinking before the game because I want you to be very focused and able yes. to take in this game. Uh, no doubt. I, thank you for the advice. Okay. I uh, I will heed your warning. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thank you, Kevin. All right. He is Stan Weber, and it's just terrific. We really appreciate his time, and he's so good at breaking all this down. We've got an incredible football season unfolding right now, and I, you know, I I know that I'm a little overexcited about this, but Missouri and Kansas have to play each other. I just I'm going to be so frustrated if the people who run college athletics don't allow this to happen. And I'm not pointing at either school here. All right, we have conferences as well. And he mentioned Greg Sankey, and you know the Big Twelve has a new commissioner. I, I just don't even I don't even know how this is a discussion. They're both six and six. They can play in a place that's close to home where you can drive it and play this thing. I, I, it's it's what bowl games should be. I just don't even understand how there's even a discussion on this thing. It should have been the first bowl done. Memphis, KUMU, done. That one's that. Scratch that one out. We'll figure everybody else out later. It should just be over. But I'm telling you, people in athletics do not think of the fans first anymore. They used to. That's all it was about. And they just don't do it anymore. Stan Weber's great. Uh, Stan Weber's appearance brought to you by 360 Document Solutions online at 360documentsolutions.com. Dump those expensive copiers with HP Toner and get a new deal with 360 Document Solutions. They'll even get you out of your old leases on your equipment. For a complimentary analysis of all your document technology or IT programs, contact Mark at 360 Document Solutions, 913-745-5344. Dr. Bill Bush at NKC Dental, online at nkcdental.com. He's an award-winning dentist, and he's the dentist to the Chiefs. So why not have him be your dentist? Two offices in the Northland and Westwood, online at nkcdental.com. Advanced medical imaging, MRI, and CT scans outside those expensive, time-consuming hospital chains. Online at medimageks.com. Why wait? Find out what's inside. All major insurance is accepted. Healthcare in the big systems can be a big mess. Put your healthcare in your own hands with advanced medical imaging. 
Get your CT or MRI today or sign up for the heart scan. Get your plaque score. It's out of pocket, but it's only like 80 bucks at Advanced Medical Imaging online at medimageks.com. And of course, uh, Tim Cross and my friends over at Cross Kitchens KC, many of you have called Tim and said, hey, let's take a look at our kitchen. Let's take a look at this bathroom. Let's take a look at this man cave. Can we remodel? Can we make this happen? What can you do for us? Cross kitchenskc.com. See their entire portfolio of the great work that they do. And wouldn't you want to have the owner on your job? I would. That's why I go with crosskitchenskc.com. So much football and so much more. On Monday night, I will be at Sinzetti's, if you're listening to this on Monday, with Mike Thompson, the state senator from the great state of Kansas, from Shawnee, with the Northeast Johnson County Republicans. They've asked me to MC an event there this evening. Uh, everybody's welcome. You don't need a reservation. They have uh, great Italian food at Sinzetti's, and usually about 150 people are there. It's kind of a conservative think tank. If you want to come out tonight and say hello, I'd love to see you there. So join us. The program will start at about 6.30, as I understand it. Dinner begins if you want to eat anytime, 6 o'clock or after. I'll be getting there about 6. And we should have some fun talking a little politics tonight at Sinzetti's in Overland Park. It's the Northeast Johnson County Republicans. Mike Thompson will be there, and we'd love to have any of you out on this Monday evening if you'd like to come out and say hello. So we look forward to that. And, of course, we'll have all kinds of news and politics podcasts coming up later this week as we get back into the real swing between the holidays, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, get back into the full schedule, and uh, hopefully create some content here that you really enjoy and you will share with your friends. Don't forget to hit that like or follow or subscribe button. It's free. Tell your friends about it. Help us out with the podcast. And most of all, thanks for listening to Kevin Keatsman Has Issues. Thanks for listening to Kevin Keatsman Has Issues, presented by Roberts Robinson Chevrolet Buick GMC. To get exclusive patrons-only podcasts, receive a weekly newsletter, and attend in-person patrons-only parties, visit kkhasissues.com and become a patron today. This has been a production of Crooked Tail Media Incorporated. (laughs) 